0: Halliburton was stunned Malika. Uh, The league is stunned at this trade.
1: First hand for three. Halliburton. What a great lead. Now he's going to steal. Cortez throws it down. There's Turner just back in. Gets his own board going strong. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Corn Rose podcast. First and foremost, Happy New Year. I guess this will be coming out either today or tomorrow. So it'll be coming out either uh, the day before New Year's Day or on New Year's. No, I mean, Jesus. It'll either be coming out on New Year's Eve or the day before New Year's Eve. There we go. I can I can word. I hope that you had a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate. However you celebrate. Regardless, I hope that you are enjoying uh, enjoying the perpetual Saturday that is the last week of December. Um Joined as always by my co-host, colleague, and good friend, Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well. I feel like we get to enter into this podcast in such a much better place (laughs) than we did the prior one. Like yes. last podcast, we were talking about how they couldn't hold on to late game leads. And now we're entering into this one with them winners of four or five, only one game left in the year of 2022 against the Clippers on Saturday, a matinee game. And the team just feels like in a very different place to me. So
1: definitely. And nice. we we didn't have to record after, a, you know, you can't surrender a late game lead if you just are down 20 the entire time, like what happened to the Pelicans. So um, do you know that that's yeah. the
0: first game this year and last year? I think that I have not rewatched.
1: Uh, I'm not surprised, and I'm. Happy I for always you.
0: rewatch a game and immediately do it either once the game ends and get on Ballet Sports and start rewatching it, or I get on the next morning and rewatch it. And like when I was watching that live, it's just like I don't really have any massive takes from this. I don't really think I need to see it again. So
1: yeah, they were bad. They played bad. R.I.P. Um,
0: I'm, I'm proud of me for that.
1: I I'm proud of you for that too. That's that's a great way to be about it. Um, well, yeah, we have well with with the new year. Uh, Right around the corner slash whenever you're listening to this, Um, we are coming here to provide our top five moments of the season so far. Um, So, Caitlin, if you want to give any extra background or context, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I'm actually I'm expanding this to go back to the beginning of twenty twenty two.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: so it's the top five moments of the year twenty twenty two. Um, I think most of them will probably, given what the last year has been, most of them will probably come from this season. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you've picked and you don't know what I've picked, but um, I'm excited for this. I think we're going to have some fun things to look back on from last year as well, given what the current um, context of the team is. So do you care if I just go ahead and tip it off with what I have from last year? Oh yeah, go ahead. Okay. So last year, Mark, our final podcast of the year 2021. I don't know if you remember this was a two questions, two haw pod for the month of December. And this is what we started off saying on the pod. You said, quote, the Pacers haven't played in four days. And I'm kind of glad about that. (laughs) And then we were talking about the athletic report and you said, quote, what am I supposed to do with this team? I don't know what to think, what lens to view them through. And we both just said, you know, it's kind of difficult when it feels like a bunch of trades are going to happen, but they haven't happened yet. And we were just kind of waiting and that and the Pacers at the time, I believe we're in the middle of a six game losing streak. So very, like I said, at the beginning of this podcast, very different way that they're exiting one year and entering into the next now that uh, they've won four or five. And it feels like there's been some some changes. So I don't want to be prisoner of the moment necessarily. But I am going to be prisoner of the moment to a degree. And I'm just going to pick the last five games. I'm just picking the last five, Mark. I don't know if you felt like these have been a little bit more meaningful to you than what some of the early season wins are. But they felt a little bit more meaningful to me, especially in terms of what's happening in the late game situation. So if we just want to ignore what happened in that Pelicans game, like I said, I did not rewatch it. I'm prepared to pre- pretend as if that game never happened. For the best. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we have Boston, we have Tyrese going off for 30 in that game and then going to Miami and going off for 40. He very easily could have been player of the week, if not for Pascal Siakam being, you know, basically flawless in his 50 point outing and some of the other stuff the Raptors did that particular week. But both of those wins and then also what happened against Atlanta and Cleveland, the Miami win in particular felt very meaningful to me. And that's why I wanted to write the little thing that I did about the, you know, the poetic redemption of his game winner in that particular game, because we on our prior podcast had talked about why they were letting go of late game leads and that the switching, whether it was Jared Allen, where it was, whether it was Julius Randall, whether it was Bam Adebayo, was really bogging down their offense in late game situations. You and I both felt like particularly against the Knicks, that there was a little bit too much mismatch hunting. So, you know, Tyrese comes out in that game against Miami and is just very aggressive. Um, looking for the switch pocket which i think is one of his best best methods for attacking the switch is you know every time anytime there's a switch somebody's always going to be a little bit behind when one defender hands that guy off to the next the heat were not very sharp with that in that game Mm -hmm. and he recognized that and was taking those shots early but i mean he took 16 threes in that game like beyond the fact that he set a franchise record with the game winner he attempted 16 threes. And if you go back and watch that prior game against Miami and what was the lowest scoring game between any two teams that year, there were opportunities for him to shoot in the fourth out of sets that they were running for him away from the ball where he just did not shoot. It was like, well, I've, I'm 0 of eight from the field. I'm going to get other people involved. And because he was that aggressive in the first half of the 40 point game, then when it got to be in crunch time, he was able to drive that switch because bam had to play him closer. They didn't have a choice. So, um, I just feel like a lot, we saw better stuff. They were actually like trying to get Robert Williams into switches late game against Boston, where Aaron Neesmith, because Robert Williams was guarding Neesmith, they were using Neesmith as a screener and Tyrese was doing similarly, hunting the switch pocket against Boston. But it hasn't even just been what he's done with shots. Like, if we look at what happened against Atlanta, I tweeted about this. Like, the Hawks pulled within six points, I believe, with about eight minutes to play in the fourth quarter of that game, 103 97. And Tyrese comes and makes a layup makes another layup, throws an assist to Buddy, and hits a pull-up three, and all of a sudden it's an 11-2 to run, and the game's basically over. Like, he's just gone on a heater. It's one fourteen ninety-nine. Like, he basically slammed the door shut last night against Cleveland. The Cavs were up eighty-two seventy-nine. Tyrese makes a layup. Tyrese throws an assist, and then he makes back-to-back threes in transition. The Cavs' defense on those transition threes was not good, but the point being, like, he's having these little heater runs and really like, I feel like this stretch he's kind of finally realized to make it somewhat of a cliche, how good he is. I don't know how you feel about these four or five games.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that goes right into my, my first one, which is talking about the Miami game, like the, or through the lens yeah. of looking at both those Miami games, Uh the, the, not the first one in the season, but the, the, the two in December, because uh, like you just mentioned, it was, it was funny because. uh I don't, I, I was on a, like a preview show um, I think before the, like a week before the Christmas day game. So like right before the Miami game is going to happen. Um, and uh, you know, somebody's like, Oh, well, you know, Tyrese really struggled against Miami the last time. What do you think is going to happen this next one? And not that I was predicting a 43 point outing, but I was like, I think I'm really excited to see that game because that, I mean, that was maybe his worst game in a pacer uniform against Miami. Um, the, the first time. And I, I think just based on everything from his approach, from how he talks about the game, from how he seems to think about the game, like it felt very evident that he was going to come out and really try and rewrite what that looked like, um, obviously in a meaningful way. And he did like that. Like you just mentioned, I think seeing just the sheer difference between him and those two games was like, that was, that's the kind of stuff that makes me love basketball. Um, Like having the, the sheer difference in sample size and variance, because you get to see so many people adapt to things if they really approach it that way. And um, that was the kind of thing, like you're talking about, like, you know, like, from the direct quote, which uh, I do remember saying that uh, I, I I'm there with you with how this last five games has looked. I think I still have a lot of questions about, you know, what the team is or isn't going to do by the trade deadline, um, which I, I don't know. We're probably not going to talk about that today, but like, um, it, it just every, it feels like every week progressively minus the early December, late November ride. Um, I just kind of think more and more that this team's just actually kind of decent. And a lot of that is because of Tyrese and the kind of player he's growing into. So, yeah, th- that, that, those two Miami games um, really just set everything apart from this last year, because I think those are the, that's like the game you can look at and, and point at and say, okay, well, not that Domas wasn't, a fantastic player who wasn't going to, you know, try and improve game to game. But seeing that was like, I mean, that, that's like one of the most awesome developmental moments we're going to be able to look back on from, from what the last two or three years of Pacers basketball was.
0: Well, yeah, because I kind of relate it to this, that, you know, when the nuggets were (sighs) in the bubble and they were in those, you know, three, one holes and came back in those series, it was almost to a degree that the longer Jokic is in a series, the more he's going to be able to figure it out. Yeah. Like if you let if you let the Denver Nuggets hang around, he's going to be able to be a supercomputer and figure that matchup out. And that's kind of what this last stretch of basketball has felt like. That I mean, it's not like he's been doing stuff with the switch pocket all year, but it felt very deliberate that he was going to look for that early and be aggressive whether those shots went in or not, which I mean they were and how that impacted the second half and the way he was able to think through those matchups. Because, I mean, like I wrote in that piece, I mean, they were effectively using him as the ghost screener and ghost flare action with the other point guard out there in the prior game just to try to move Bam to the weak side and get him away from the ball and give them another option to play through. And, you know, that game winner, he's getting a ghost screen from Nemhardt and he's still on the ball. Like, that was very significant to me. And then even last night against Cleveland, like we talked about it, having Jared Allen switching out to the ball against Tyrese when they played in Cleveland it bothered him. Like he had a few layups in the first half against that game whenever Evan Mobley wasn't out there, but when they got to the fourth quarter, the ball stopped moving and they kind of went back to what's been working for them last year or last night, which is they're not a team that isolates. They started using buddy to ghost the switch again and what the two of their chemistry is. So um, they figured it out. And then you could also just see like what Neesmith did late in those three layups, which I about lost my mind from, including the dunk that, you know, when he gets a switch against Jared Allen, he commands so much attention that Jared didn't want to release from him. Like he didn't want to release to go contest Neesmith on that one above the break drive. So it was just Neesmith basically, you know, tiptoeing right down open space to the lane to the rim. So yeah, I mean, you can just see how much that has impacted. So for me personally, I've been able to, I don't want to say poke holes, but kind of look at some of the stuff they were doing earlier when they were getting some of these wins and see like, you know, how exactly is that working? this almost feels like it has a magic quality to it. Is this going to wear off? And like what they did here recently, again, like I think that Boston probably played maybe the first half of basketball or worst half of basketball I've seen from a team relative to their talent level. Miami switches weren't on par. Jimmy obviously hurt his ankle and didn't finish that game. I don't know what's going on with the Hawks completely. And I'm assuming that Darius Garland's wrist or hand or whatever was bothering him some late in the fourth quarter. But as far as what the Pacers were doing, it, it felt, more meaningful to me, um, for a lot of reasons. So that was my number five. And I'm guessing that you picked the two Miami games as your number five, correct? Yes. Okay. So then, I mean, since we already kind of talked about it, my next one was going to be the two game winners, um, the game winner from Nemhard and the game winner from Halliburton, which we just discussed. Um, the thing that I liked about both of those two, which John Schumann at NBA.com pointed this out, but it, it bears pointing out again, Is that last year at this point in time? The Pacers' record in the clutch through December 31st was 4 and 15. They won 11 total clutch games last year. They were 29th in the league in clutch win percentage at 11 and 34. This team right now through December 30th is 12 and 9 in clutch games. So they've already won more games in the clutch than they won all of last season. Um, And there is a degree of luck sometimes in clutch games and whether shots go in or not. We've seen Nemhard take similar shots uh, as the one that he made against the Lakers and he hasn't made them, but still like that brought back feelings to a degree of what we've said before, the 17-18 season when Oladipo was making, you know, big clutch time shots and they really haven't had that since. And we can think back to Kevin Pritchard's Inter. I mean, it wasn't his interview. It was the one that Miles Turner did with The Athletic where he had the quote within that article where he had essentially said, like, you know, we need to get that real manufactured star. And then he qualified that and said, I need. I meant somebody to help us in closing time. Mm-hmm. And so far this year, they've had contributions for a lot of guys. I mean, most of that is being keyed by Tyrese, if we're being honest. But, you know, he made the pass to hard and he made the shot himself. But the other thing that I loved about both of those, which is why I wanted to pick them as a top pacer moment this year, is that like Halliburton's, you didn't feel like it could be scripted better. I mean, he's breaking the franchise record for threes on a 10th three to effectively end the game in a way that was completely different than what happened in the prior game for everything that we laid out. And Nemhard was just completely unexpected. It was the exact opposite. That was a game full of subtext from, you know, it basically being treated in LA like that was a pro day for Buddy and Miles, the rehashing of the narratives about Benedict Mathern and LeBron. Um, what Tyrese did in the game. And nobody was thinking about Andrew Nemhard. Like nobody was thinking that we didn't even know if he was going to play. He was listed as questionable. He had missed games before that. And not only does he make the game winner, but he really made an impression as well, defending LeBron James before they even needed that game winner. So that's an element that we really hadn't had last year. And I just wanted to point that out as one of my top moments.
1: Yeah, no, I, I like that one too. And it does kind of coincide with, with some of mine. I had just the Nemhard game against Golden State in general, not just the game yeah. winner. Um, and I think it's like, I mean, like we've talked about, we'd already seen, um, plenty of stuff it, it, throughout the beginning of the year to go, like, okay, I think that he's going to be more than, than either of us anticipated. And then that game, that game happens. And like, that was, I feel like just this year in general, I've had more of the wow games than we have like the past couple years combined. And again, that's less about what that last team was. I think that's more just because this is a team that's still f- finding their way, figuring their way out with where they're going next. Um, that game to me was the one where I was like, "Wow, okay, maybe there's a lot more to Nemhard than than I'm even thinking from what the you know first 15 games of the year had been and what he'd done. Like you're just watching that game, his poise, his his confidence, and. Like it, it, it really just made you think. Like I don't expect him to have thirty-one point games all the time, and to be single-handedly winning games against, you know, reigning champions. Granted, different kind of reigning champion than we're we're normally talking about. But like, it's just watching that game. You just got the sense of okay, well, what does this look like in two years when he gets more and more of these reps and moments and, and opportunity, and um, and if the pull-up really comes along and continues to to improve on volume, like. That was just exciting. And I think so that that one I I have to have up there. So I remember before that night, I was like, well, this is not really a game that I I mean, we can just chalk up the Pacers as losing by 25 or something like that. That was my thought going in, considering how many guys were out and um, lo and behold, they (laughs) they freaking won. So, yeah, I, I that that was my number four.
0: I mean, and they didn't just freaking win. Like, think about everything that he confronted in that game. I mean, I mean, I every believe,
1: coverage he could.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I remember, I think he had 120 touches in that game. And I think that Tyrese might now slightly be below Jokic. I think he might be number two in touches, but he was leading and he was averaging like 97. So Nemar not only is having to man all of the offense effectively with Tyrese and TJ McConnell out, but he's starting the game and Draymond Green is effectively defending him as primary. And if he wasn't defending him as primary, then he was defending the screener. So are either having to combat him at the first level or the second level. And then when that didn't work, they started mixing in their various zone coverages off of make. So he's having to think through that just in the first quarter alone, while they're playing lineups with, you know, all three rookies on the floor at the same time, then they come out after halftime and they're realizing like, okay, this guy's the straw stirring the drink. So we got to get the ball out of his hand. So Kaminga is full court pressing him. And then, And when he's going on his scoring tirade in the fourth quarter, they're like, "Okay, now we're going to start half court trapping him. And it's like you said, he was just completely unflappable. Like every coverage they showed, it didn't bother him. And it wasn't that they Golden State didn't play a perfect game by any means. That kind of looked like one of like what happened the last time the Pacers went to Golden State when they didn't have anybody available to play and they won. Um, I don't know if Golden State kind of just thought they're going to be able to roll the ball out there and win that game. But I mean, I believe he scored or assisted on 15 of their last 18 points. Um, And he was doing stuff that we just haven't seen him do. He was pulling from 30. He was making step backs against uh, Steph Curry. And and it was, again, it was the same thing. We're using Buddy as like a go screener to affect those switches, but Nemar just making lots of reads. And it, it kind of brings up a point too that, I mean, not that, that's what this podcast is about but when he is put in that role where he can do more and have the ball in his hands and pick and roll situations how much does that change the team and what maybe they should be thinking about headed into the trade deadline because something we could have brought up from when i talked about the last five games is we did get a very tiny peak in that boston game of the all canadian lineup <laughs> where where nemhard was out there with duarte matherin o'shea and jalen And it was nice to get to see him run a little bit of offense. And that's not because I don't think Nemhard should be starting. I do think he should. I think that that positively impacts their defense. And I don't think it's bad because in the long run, if he continues to develop and you want him as a starter, he's going to have to do some off-ball things. But I would like to see him get to run some more bench offense for the reasons that you just brought up, what we saw him do against Portland and what we saw him do against Golden State. So that was definitely – a big moment in terms of what the draft was. But I'll just go into my number three from there because you bringing that up was effectively what I was going to bring up. And not that we want this to be the entirely Miami Heat podcast, but I was going to pick the first game against Miami because of what you said about, you know, seeing what Nemhard could do offensively against Golden State, seeing both rookies. Chris hurt his ankle within, I believe, like the first five or six minutes of that game. It was very early on. So Nemhard got more run than what we had been seeing prior. And Matherin had 10 free throw attempts by halftime, and what I consider to be like, the most Matherin play of the year where he gathered his dribble from outside the free throw line with four defenders standing in the paint Mm -hmm. and still was able to get to the rim and finish with an and one. And meanwhile, Nemhard's doing like all these tiny things on defense. It was kind of the first game where we were seeing him do. He was having a vertical contest. He was, you know, he was switching on to Dwayne Dedman and, and clipping him around the rim and still being able to get out and make the right rotations. He was mixing in some of the peel and help switching that he does that not a lot of other guys do on the roster. And then he's having, you know, it's not a game winner, but he's having the game winning stop against Tyler Hero in the final possession of the game. And the team's trusting him enough to do that. And Mathern and Nemhard were both in the closing lineup along with Buddy and Miles and, and Tyrese. So I didn't want to just pick the draft because that felt you know, a little bit cliche because we didn't know at the time of the draft exactly what Nemhart and Mathern were gonna be. But and that game, that was kind of like the first hint and that draft's looking pretty successful for the Pacers to this point, especially from the standpoint that they have two rookies who are mainstays in the rotation. I mean, Nemhart is now a fixture of the starting lineup. Mathern is leading the NBA in points off the bench, um, and continues to look solid for the most part, minus some of the la- lower scoring games here lately. But um I think that the rookies being as prominent as they've been is definitely a top moment of 2022.
1: Yeah, no, I really like, I I, I really, really like that. Um, And I think like, 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 like you just mentioned with talking about how it would be almost wrong to have just the draft. I agree because I think both guys have really blown us away with what we expected and thought um, and that's been part of what's been so exciting about this year. And that, again, that feeds into my third one, which is Benedict Matherin's 32-point game against the Nets. Um, Like, he'd already shown all the stuff that that made you go, wow, you know, like, okay, I really get it. I understand why he was the pick. I understand why the team loved him. Like, you can see all the ways that he's factoring in. But, like, again, that was another one of the wow moments for me in this season. Like, him just coming off the bench and absolutely lighting up in that the his first stint off the bench what do I'm trying to remember he had 19 points in the in the first quarter
0: I am thinking, yeah
1: and yeah, that was awesome a because it was like tied in with the um I mean the Nets were going through everything that they were going through with Steve Nash and um so granted like yes, there are some flaws in that game but just like the moment felt really big for when it was happening. Um, and it's a cool one to reflect on, like going back and watching those highlights is is kind of euphoric. Um, and obviously, like, like you mentioned, there's been a little bit of fall off. He's hit kind of a rookie wall and is still learning uh, and feeling some things out. But that was just a, that was a really special moment and cool moment in getting a feel for, for Benedict as a player.
0: And the fact of the matter is, is it's not the only time that it's happened. Like, yeah, exactly. You're bringing it like there's times where he comes in off the bench and it's just a tidal wave, like what he did in the second quarter against Denver when they jumped out to the big lead. And I don't remember how many points I'm, I'm thinking he had, you know, double figures in that quarter. I know for sure. I'm not exactly sure of the entire point total, but. You know, he can come in and score in a hurry and in ways that I wasn't expecting. I mean, you having me reading you that quote where you were like, I don't I don't know what to do with this team. I remember when we were watching just the third game of the year against the Pistons and and Mathern had those two kind of isolation threes where he got the pass the ball on, got it back, and made him against Sadiq Bay. And I remember tweeting that night, like, I'm still processing what he's doing. Like it was just not stuff that I was expecting to see. And that's like the reverse of what last year was, because that's I don't know how to process this because the this is so much better than I expected it to be. Versus last year, it's like I don't know what to do with this team because it's just like borderline a hate watch right now. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, genuinely. I mean, think back to December of last year; like no, yeah, the fan sucks. base was the fan that base really was sucks. so apathetic. It didn't. It just felt like you know half the teams on the trade block, and you know they're giving up one hundred and fifty points to the Charlotte Hornets, where you know starters aren't even playing, and it just feels very like lethargic. And just finally get us to the trade deadline, so. Um, My number two is going to sound weird, especially given what the trajectory is looking like over this little stretch, but I actually have picked um, changes in approach from team governorship and team building, I guess. I mean, if we look back over the last year, I think that we can say that Herb Simon or the front office, I'm not sure, or a relationship between the two have made, you know, some pretty significant changes from what we had come to know of the Pacers. Um, We can quibble about how prickly the offer sheet was, but they did attempt to sign DeAndre Ayton, gave him a max offer sheet. Um, They traded Karis Levert to the Cleveland Cavaliers for an expiring contract and picks, which isn't something that the Pacers had normally done with their starting caliber players. Usually that's to get players back in return. They traded a two time All Star instead of trying to continue to rebuild around that. They looked in a new direction and realized they had to do something more dramatic, which, you know, I wouldn't have been opposed. Like if Tyrese wouldn't have been available, I wouldn't have been opposed to them keeping Sabonis. I think I had said that on several podcasts to see how that would go before they, you know, completely tore it down. But obviously the opportunity came and they were willing to do that. And then over the summer, there was reporting that it very much sounds to me, that if the Lakers had made both of those picks available, I'm not entirely convinced that Miles and Buddy would have been on this roster when the season started. And we can debate whether that would have been a good thing or not. There's really no way for us to know how, you know, things would have played out or how even the season will play out to that point. Point being is that it, it may turn out that because of the way the team is overachieving and playing right now, that they might end up doing things in a very pacer way in the end. Anyways, they might end up, you know, being a tough out this year potentially in a play-in game or in the playoffs, we don't know. And it might be that they hold on to veterans instead of trying to change trade them out for potential picks or getting a higher draft pick. But at the very least, it seems like they're willing to have an open mind and consider all possibilities instead of what it had been in the past where it's like, you just, you know, I love this little team and we're going to keep, you know, rebuilding through the middle type of stuff. So it did, it did feel like there was a shift on what they're willing to consider, I guess is what I'm I'm attempting to verbalize here.
1: Yeah. No, I I I mean that that into into what I was going to talk about too. Just the to to add my own layer of context to it as well. I had uh, written an article for the SB Nation main site that went up on February 8th at 12:50 p.m. uh basically talking about how the Sacramento Kings were kind of at a crossroads and that uh they should keep Tyrese Haliburton and De'Aaron Fox together. Um and then 38 minutes later Adrian Wojnarowski reported that the trade was happening. Um and that was without like, I mean, there had been like talks like, like, I mean, you remember like there had been like nothing really linking the Pacers to to Tyrese um, that came out of seemingly nowhere. Like there, like it, it had felt like something was going to happen in Sacramento, but then that happened. Um, and I just remember like when I initially let everything set in, I was like, wow, I, I mean, I couldn't have envisioned that happening and I still have a lot of questions about the team, but like that I just remember, I think we texted each other. And I was like, that's like the least pacer thing I could have imagined. Like I did there was like, there was just like, I did not feel like that was going to happen. Um, and I just remember again, like that happening and it was, uh, it was kind of awe inspiring uh, in a way, even without being a fan of the team. I was just like, that's, it finally feels like a, just a really, I, I want to see them follow up with it, but that's like the move that you make if you can. And uh I was never I mean that was uh kind of a landmark moment uh, over the last year and that it's that was not even a full year ago which is wild to think about it feels like forever ago' see well, simultaneously being yesterday but um yeah that would be goes right into what you're talking about
0: So my number one was actually the trade deadline okay um, and I I have some fun things for us to reflect on. Um, (laughs) we did record a podcast about the potential of trading Sabonis to the Kings, but for De'Aaron Fox. And I don't think that the two of us ever even brought up Tyrese Halliburton because that's not the player who was being connected. And I, I very much remember Shams having a report that was effectively like the Kings are not interested in moving. De'Aaron for Sabonis and we were both like okay well then that seems fairly definitive well I guess it that in that sense it was definitive but they were yeah. going to still trade him to the kings but when we did our post trade deadline recap um the first thing I said on that podcast was quote it seems like we are now Frodo and we finally delivered the one ring to Mordor <laughs> we're finally to the other side of carrying this burden mark because like it had just dragged on for so long and like you know, I guess we were going into the gray spaces and knowing that we were going to get to watch Tyrese and like, as I, we were both very enthusiastic about them getting Tyrese. i another quote that we had, you said, when I saw that notification come up on my phone, I had to check to make sure it was real. And I said, if you're trading the team's best player, it needed to be for someone who already currently is capable of being a number one option or could could develop into that and be a better player than Sabonis. And we were both like, that's what Tyrese has the capability of being. That's what our conversation was. And, you know, now we're 26 (laughs) games last season into watching him. We're almost halfway through this season into watching him. And we're really starting to see that to blossom, which is why I wanted to pick those last five games. Cause I mean, that's the best way, like watching him play against Boston and watching him play against Miami Um, it's, it's like what we had said about him in the past. If you had anything to critique him about, it was at times that he was too deferential or sometimes what he does against switches. And in both of those games, it's like, yeah, he just, he's finally realized how good he is and that some of these shots really do need to be his. Um, and we're seeing that at full force and not only just Tyrese, but also who I want to bring up here is buddy. Like at the time, buddy was very much viewed. Not necessarily. I think both of us saw him more favorably. I did not see him Mm -hmm. as favorably as what he's been for the Pacers, especially this season. But I think that the national viewpoint of that was that he was the salary match along with Tristan Thompson, who never forget played four magical games for the Indiana Pacers probably will be a tribute video someday, but (laughs) anyways, back to buddy, like this is the number one assist combo in the NBA, Mark. Tyrese and Buddy have taken more early threes than like 10 NBA teams. Tyrese is the identity of the team and Buddy in large part is an extension of that identity. A lot of the stuff that they do is because of what the partnership and synergy between those two players is. It's the fact that Tyrese is incredibly um conscientious when he's getting the ball off of transition opportunities he's constantly peering over his shoulder checking out the lay of the court and buddy is sprinting to the line and buddy is an unapologetic shooter he's gonna let the ball go whether there's four defenders down there three defenders but that is very critical to the pace that the Pacers play with and what they're able to do. I mean, we saw last night, very different circumstances was not in transition, but Buddy makes the fastest three in like NBA history on the very first possession because he's just that confident in himself as a shooter. Um, And also like what I just said, like it is very critical. The Pacers, I believe it might be a little bit different now because we have seen them doing a little bit more mismatch hunting between the New York game and even last night a little bit against Darius Garland, but they rank like 28th in isolation frequency. It's not something they want to do. They want to get to the next action as much as possible because of what some of Tyrese's limitations can be driving switches. And Buddy is the most effective person at doing that. He's great at ghosting the switch, which is a team concept, but you have to be willing to do it and recognize when to do it and how to maintain the spacing when you're doing it. And he's so good at respacing the floor. I don't think they would be able to do it at the level they're doing it with Chris or Benedict, even though I very much like Chris and Benedict if Buddy wasn't out there. Um, so it, it goes beyond just getting Tyrese Halliburton in terms of what the team's currently doing and how they've been looking. And just, I remember you had me power rank. I don't remember what episode of the podcast was on. I was looking for it last night, but you had me power rank team needs before the trade deadline. And I was like, number one is shooting. Number one mm-hmm. is definitely shooting. And, you know, over these last five games, I think Buddy's shooting like almost 70% from three.
1: You want to um, hear a really wild stat? Yes, I do. In the month of December, so that's what, like 13 games? I think a little bit less. Buddy is shooting 52.5% from deep on eight attempts per game.
0: Yeah, it's wild. It's absolutely wild. And, it, and it's a powerful deodorant, Mark. The, <laughs> the shooting of this team is a very powerful deodorant because if you look, like, even just... Like last night against Cleveland and what they've been doing here lately on defense, their defense is I I think it's hovering right around the middle. I think their defensive rating here lately is like fifteenth or sixteenth. But the rebounding is horrific. Yeah. They're like twenty-eighth in opponent second chance points. And three of these last five games, they've given up twenty-five plus second chance points, and they've still managed to win two of those games. Um, they're barely getting to the line themselves. I think that they're like 28th in their own free throw attempt rate, they're not getting that many second chance points. So like, if they're not just shooting the absolute whites out of the ball, which is something to consider with how sustainable some of this is, although like, I don't think we necessarily need to think that buddy's going to, crater at some point as a shooter but we did see what happened to the team on the west coast road trip when they had multiple people who were shooting poorly for three at the same time they were certainly digging themselves some big holes but as it turns out like shooting matters mark i i didn't know that you know that's probably going pretty far out on a limb but um shooting makes a really big difference for this team
1: uh yeah just a little bit um yeah i i like like you're mentioning with buddy i think uh, a he's just been fun to watch like I love watching movement shooting Um, I think it's the this year has made me rethink the game a little bit not that I thought shooting was not valuable but um actually like when like we're talking about when you when you listed shooting first I remember like pausing a little bit not because I thought you were wrong but more just I I had to think about it because I thought to me like I was like oh, I'd rather see them really set the defense first and figure that out Um And now, like like you just mentioned, like having just otherworldly shooting like that can can really paper some things over while you're still trying to figure that out. And um, that I I mean, you just can't really take that away because that's been pretty. uh, I mean, not pretty. Like that's been extremely important for what they've done this year. Um, So yeah, I'm I'm right there with you.
0: Yeah, I mean, compared to last year, when we're looking at it, I believe prior to the trade deadline that Justin Holiday was the only player shooting above 35% from three.
1: Sounds about right. we, We
0: can remember visibly them being in Phoenix and Chris Paul looking at the bench and saying they can't effing shoot. I mean, and it wasn't like once they finally started playing through Sabonis as a fulcrum, that was the right utilization of him. But if he's drawing the defense and dishing it out and they're just throwing brick threes, I mean, I can show screenshots from whenever the COVID pacers were playing and you can look at New York flooding four defenders to him. You can look at the Brooklyn Nets taking the defender off of Miles and off of, you know, whoever else, I I think Kiefer and triple teaming him on the block in the post. And he's making the right passing reads out of it a lot of times. But like, you know, if you're drawing that and you don't have anybody that can stretch it back out, you know, it's it's quite a bit different now for him playing with the Sacramento Kings and the degree of shooting that they have than what it was for him for the Pacers. And, you know, they're not playing that same style of basketball. The Pacers aren't, but you can see it on a nightly. Um, just like I said last night. Part of the reason why niece was able to get to the rim and, and some of what his processing of attacks to closeouts didn't matter as much is because Jared Allen was like, I can't leave Tyrese Halliburton.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: can't leave, you know, whoever this is that I'm switched on to. Um, and just how much difference the spacing makes in a lot of situations. So, um, the trade deadline to me is definitely the top pacer moment of 2022, and and it's only continued to look better with time, especially over the last week. So, um, Tyrese Halliburton, pretty good at basketball.
1: Yeah, just 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 a little bit. Um, my last one is actually so it's not. I, I didn't really have these in order per se. I think it's just mm-hmm. how I ended up talking about them. Miles is dunk on on Jade McDaniel's. Uh, oh yeah, against the yeah. Minnesota Timberwolves. I had to throw a dunk in here, and that is like the dunk of the year from the team. Like the Neesmith dunk was nice. I didn't get to watch that game live. I'm still annoyed about that. Shout out Valley Sports Ohio. Um, But the miles dunk on J-Mac was just, that was sick. I remember watching that live and that was just kind of unreal. Um, Especially too, like against, it's one thing to like dunk on somebody who's an okay defender. It's another thing to dunk on like an all defense guy. And granted, like, I think there's not really a lot J-Mac could have done about that one, but it makes the picture that much more noteworthy. Um, I love that. Especially too, because like it was, it almost felt like an exact replica of when he dunked on Gordon Hayward. Um, so that was really fun. I, I, I got a lot out of that one.
0: Yeah. I mean, I almost picked a Miles moment from the Minnesota game, but I did not pick the dunk. Um, they were running Spain pick and roll and they didn't get anything out of the initial Spain action. Miles popped, Tyrese threw it back to him, and then Tyrese and something that I've never seen the Pacers do in any other setting set an inverted ball screen at the elbow for miles to attack and miles dribbled behind his back and then elegantly scored around Rudy Gobert at the rim. And that, I think that kind of speaks to, it's not always perfect for miles. I think some of the games this year, I think overall his trajectory has been upward for sure. I think he's played some of the best, basketball of his career I think there's also been some games like what happened to him down in Miami where you can see some of the limitations when teams will start to scheme more and it just didn't matter because what I said before the shooting from Tyrese and Buddy was such a powerful deodorant that we don't really look back and notice that some of the stuff that was going on with him in that game but I do think that him as a driver especially with this spacing is one of the areas that he's taken the biggest step forward. Not that he hadn't driven in the past, but there's just a lot of room. And those are really backbreaking plays when you have a five who can put the ball on the floor, at least when he's actually defended by fives. And then to do that over Rudy Gobert right at the rim and and to have that degree of handle and like just them running that type of an action. Like again, I haven't seen them do that in any other games. I think it was just improvised by Tyrese, but I wouldn't mind seeing more of it. So I almost actually picked that exact sequence because that was probably my favorite miles play. My favorite miles game was the game against the Pelicans just because yeah. it was the most complete from him from recognizing like I have Valanciunas in drop. I'm going to shoot. I'm going to be aggressive. He's not going to come out and guard me. Now we're playing zone. I'm going to duck in and I'm going to be active looking for my own opportunities. And now eventually we're going to play Valanciunas off the court because we're playing at such a high pace that Willie green doesn't feel comfortable leaving him out there. And now, you know, the Pelicans are switching with Zion at the five and he's posting all those switches. And, you know, they weren't bringing doubles in the same way that Miami was that kind of bothered him some, but he just really went at it. I mean, even last night when he had like, I was stymied buy a few things the Pacers were doing last night. He had a post up against Jared Allen and he freaking dislodged him. Like he bumped him off his spot. Like we would not have seen that from miles Turner a year ago. Um, I was talking about this with somebody that when Miles played his final game before he got hurt against Phoenix. And we had talked about this on the podcast too. Like a lot of those games, the processing was like very strange because you could clearly tell that the Pacers were trying to somewhat appease him by running plays for him very early in the game to get him touches after that athletic article had come. And like, they posted him against Chris Paul, they posted him against Jay Crowder against Phoenix. And like, none of those actions went well. And it was just like, why are they doing this? Like, And now like to see him do that, like I want to feel comfortable posting him against bigs all the time, but to see him be aggressive and not be rushed in those settings, I think is another area that he's um, taken some steps forward this year. So there's been some very good miles moments to start the year as well.
1: Yeah. I almost like my sixth one was, was the Pelicans game. But then my other extra was just his November in general, like his November was pretty awesome, especially after like, you know, he had the uh, the Brooklyn game, but then after yeah. the Brooklyn game, man, like that was a fun run. And he's still it been seems, really good. That's not. the Yeah, it seems to all, be but.
0: that uh, I thought he was fantastic in the first quarter last night. I mean, he was fantastic for most of the game last night, especially mm-hmm. given the fact that, like, I just cannot imagine if at the trade deadline last year, you would have been like Caitlin next year. They're going to run small ball lineups where Buddy's effectively defending at the four and they're going to assign him to rim rolling fives. He's going to guard Jarrett Allen and they're going to switch those actions and then they're going to pre-switch Buddy onto Evan Mobley in screening actions so that they can switch and keep miles around the basket and have him scram out mismatches and that this is going to work well enough that they can at least shoot the ball enough to outweigh their defense and win games. Like I can tell you how many games that Buddy Heald has been assigned to opposing teams fives and that these are games that the Pacers have won. Like, it's just, again, like there's just been somewhat of a magic quality where it's like, if I had been told that independent of the context of watching these games, i had been like, no way that's not going to work. Like you, you cannot do that. And then you watch it and it's like, guess they can.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Shout out Buddy Hield, uh and Chris Saps Porzingis. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess that wraps it up for us. Do you want to hit on anything else before we got out of here?
0: No, I think we're good. I just want to tell everybody to have a happy new year. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I think that our vibes were pretty immaculate. Um, We only talked about good things here. I think that the Pacers are in a good spot headed into the new year. We don't know what exactly direction they'll be taking. I'm sure there'll be more evaluation to come and to see as they head into the trade deadline. But certainly a lot of fun basketball by comparison to what the basketball started out 2022 being to where we are now. We don't know what will happen in the Clipper game on Saturday. I do know that you and I had a very funny moment on our podcast Uh, Two or three podcasts ago where we talked about somebody on our mailbag had asked uh, what would be the preferred playoff opponent for the Pacers and we both picked the Brooklyn Nets before they played that awful game and and I think I said something along the lines of well we'll probably both get made to look dumb tonight when they lose to an undermanned Nets team and they grab every rebound in sight.
1: Uh, so yeah. that's
0: pretty prescient. But anyways, so hopefully the vibes will continue on New Year's Eve tomorrow. Have a good New Year's Eve to everybody. And I want to also say thank you to everybody that's listened to the podcast this year who has taken time to give us a five star review or to give nice feedback on Twitter. Um, this was my first time being full time co host with Mark. Uh, I don't think I started doing that until January or February of last year. I don't. I don't remember exactly when that was. But for everybody that's followed along and been supportive of both of us, we really appreciate you.
1: Yeah, and I just want to say I appreciate you too. This is a. It's always one of the highlights of my week getting to, getting to record the pod. Um, so to everyone listening, thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate and review the pod uh, over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Subscribe to us if you haven't already, and most importantly, have a good rest of your day and Happy New Years.